0: a week of civil unrest left many in sports grappling with their response. Some fared better than others. We recap that in this week's issue and took a closer look at the tack the Minnesota Timberwolves took in the city that was at the epicenter of the discourse and unrest. I'll discuss that and more with our NFL writer, Ben Fisher. From the far-flung work-from-home newsroom of Sports Business Journal, I'm Bill King, and this is First Look. Action, not words. That's the headline on our package of stories looking at the civil unrest that unfolded across the country last week. Joining me to talk about that now is our NFL writer, Ben Fisher. Ben, it really did feel last week, to me anyway, like everyone in sports, well, it went well beyond sports, but the sports business is what we cover here. So we'll address that, that everyone was trying to find their way to say something, something, whatever that might be. And in some cases, it really didn't resonate as sincere. Is that what the NFL ran into? Let's start there. That's your beat. That's your wheelhouse. That's the reporting you did among, among some others, but especially that one. Is that what they ran into?
1: Oh, with the NFL in particular, a thousand percent. Um, the moment you bring up race or police brutality in the context of the NFL, everyone's head immediately goes to Colin Kaepernick. The fact that he's not on a roster, despite pretty much universal understanding that he's still one of the top sixty or seventy quarterbacks in the world. Um, so anything that happens is viewed through that context. And it's an incredibly negative context for the NFL. And I'm not saying that they, they can't do some things to go down that path, but I don't see it it's hard to get out of that, it's hard to escape from that dynamic, no matter how well intentioned you may be at the moment. You can't undo history. And they ran into that in a lot of ways this
0: week. Now they knew that going in, though, right? What as you had conversations? What did you hear in that regard? I mean, they knew what their history was, and yet they, you know, they weighed in anyway. I suppose if they didn't weigh in, we'd sitting here talk. We'd be sitting here talking about how they didn't weigh in. But here we are.
1: Well, right, and, and you know, to be clear, the NFL is not taking interviews on this. They're putting statements out. They they certainly know how fraught with risk this this whole thing is for them. So. You know, I'm not going to be able to claim that I've got great insider knowledge of what exactly their deliberations were. Um, You know, they put out a statement on Saturday, uh, just as the protests were really growing to be a national story. And it was, um, I'd say, minimally responsive to the issue. And that certainly made things worse because... well, worse, I don't know. Because, like you said, if they didn't say anything, there'd be complaints that they didn't say anything. And that maybe bought them some time and that they put something out, um, they could point to it. But, you know, you go on Twitter. And I'll stipulate that, of course, Twitter comments are not representative of the world necessarily, but it was virtually universally negative. I mean, you just looked at It's like, well, what about Cap? Well, you guys silenced Cap. Cap was trying to address this and you guys screwed him. So, you know, it was it was a tough situation all along. I think um, for the rest of the week, the NFL got better in how they played it. Um, You know, they mostly stayed quiet. They uh, promoted individuals' voices. Um, They let Troy Vincent Sr., the uh, highest-ranking African-American league offices, speak personally and eloquently about this issue, and the NFL gave him that platform. And that's clearly what they should be doing more of is, is just amplifying individuals' voices and maybe keep the shield out of the way for a little while.
0: Well, that was sort of, you know, what what you saw across sports, and what what we were hearing, you know, as as I started reporting on the story early in the week, and and talked to people who sort of were had been had involved been involved as as, as social activists or in some other way, talking to African, you know, getting some some African American uh, opinions, um, you know, you, you you heard, well, anybody can say they care. But we've been dealing with this for a long time. Um, where are you? What you it, it, the time for words is past. You know, this is a time for action, and that's what people demand, and that's what people expect. And it was interesting, you know, as I talked to some some people specifically in the NBA, you heard that they acknowledged that. They knew they they acknowledged, hey, we're, we're going to have to do something. And we ended up telling the story of the Minnesota Timberwolves, who are, you know, there they are at ground zero uh, of where all this begins. Um, and um, rather than just going the route of a statement, they came out, um, created a partnership with the a, a Minneapolis Foundation with a storied history, um, and uh, and started putting money into it, and started lending the voices of coaches to it, and not just the voices, but the action to say, "Hey, we're going to be on the ground, you know, in the community, and we're going to talk about how this money gets spent, and we're going to help decide how this gets spent." And so it looked a little bit more like action than words. And, you know, in talking to Ethan Casson, the, the president of the Timberwolves, the CEO of the Timberwolves, that was exactly where they were trying to go with it. You know, they felt like just coming out and saying something wasn't going to be enough. What was the, how do you think that was received? Was that seen as as substantively actionable? I think it was, um, I, I, because I think it was more actionable than what others were doing again, because, and similarly, I mean, that's where the NFL ended up right at the end of the week. you know, we, we did see the massive, you know, contribution, $20 million, right. um, you know, I, I think, I think that that, and oh, by the way, the, the pledge to say, and we're going to continue to do things. Um, I think those were the, that probably, um, resonates a little bit more, a statement with nothing behind it, um, is, is, is where I think people were getting in trouble. And so the NFL moved in that direction at the end of the week, right? Yes. They got there eventually. Um, again, I don't know what happened in between
1: Saturday and Thursday, but, uh, rather unceremoniously, they, they didn't, you know, tell reporters it was coming. They just put up a tweet and, they said, you know, on the NFL Shield account, it said, um, you know, Black Lives Matter. We believe Black Lives Matter. And um, then a few tweets later said they were going to donate $20 million to causes addressing systemic racism. And, you know, I mean, that doesn't solve Colin Kaepernick. I quoted men in my story that said, the only thing that's going to fix the NFL and race relations is having Colin Kaepernick in a training camp. And, you know, I don't know if that's ever going to happen, but $20 million is real money and a lot can happen with $20 million in the realm of public policy and community organizing. So I don't think that should be dismissed as, as inconsequential. Um, in fairness, it's a tiny drop in the bucket for the NFL as uh, Eric Reed, I think it was said, but nevertheless, I, I, I've covered nonprofits and know how nonprofits work and the sorts of organizations that do this work, $20, $20 million can fund them for five, 10 years.
0: Yeah, and and the uh, but you know this also opens up that larger that interesting larger question that we've covered before for years. I think um, yeah, there's a there's a misconception that athletes somehow shied away from you know social activism. That's just not the case. I mean, if you look back, you think about Bill Russell, Kareem Abdul Jabbar, especially African American athletes on issues of race. Many, many prominent athletes have been out in front and and paid a price for it in some cases. So you know, Kaepernick was not new in that regard, and LeBron James and and D Wade and and the Espies, that wasn't really new in that regard. That to me was just sort of a, a a continuation of something that had been going on forever. But that was separate of the teams and the leagues, right? I mean, so often we've seen leagues and teams sort of saying, "Hey, we support." our players in their right to express themselves. And then they take a step back. They don't actually do anything behind that. I wonder if we start to see that changing. I mean, that's one of the things that, you know, that I heard from the Timberwolves is that that has to change that, you know, on, on issues that sometimes you do have to take a stand. Um, and if it costs you whatever percentage the NFL lived it, right? I don't know what percentage of their fan base they upset. Um, but we forget sometimes in the beginning, um, you know, it was it, it was uh, on on the on the on the anthem issue. In many cases, it was from the other side that the league was taking heat, um, and and yet that's not how we recall it now.
1: Right, right. Um, well, to put a little bit of number on this, I don't know how much to take this. Uh, you know, maybe maybe take this with a bit of a grain of salt, since I don't know how representative it was. But uh, you know, Joe Lockhart, the former NFL head of PR and policy, wrote uh, wrote last weekend in an op-ed that was almost timed to, to, I mean, it hit within a few hours of the original Goodell statement. that was so widely criticized. He admitted that it was a business decision by a team, not a football decision to not sign Colin Kaepernick. And that one club owner or club official said that he predicted, he believed 20% of their season ticket holders would cancel their tickets if they signed Colin Kaepernick, which would be a body blow to a team's revenue. You know, is that, is that an outlier? Is that, Standard across the NFL? I don't know, but um, that's clearly what they thought what might happen and that's what they feared by signing Colin Kaepernick. And you, I would like to hear if you feel like this is also the dynamic in the NBA where it's very different, a little bit, probably a little bit less general bad feelings in the NBA team versus league versus players on those. But I I think this, this demand for the teams and the leagues themselves to be outspoken on this and to have a position's is is setting them up for a really hard time because it's easy to say you're against racism we're all against racism yeah what the players are saying is we have a problem with a systemically racist police system in this country and the things we need to do to change that involve specific policy measures bills laws changes to public police union contracts that are going to fix this. And if the expectation is now that teams don't merely, you know, say nice words, but actually do something, is the expectation now that the teams are going to be, you know, advocating for city or state law changes or Supreme Court cases that are going to be opposed by their local police forces. I I, I don't know how you are all things to all people in this situation. It seems like the teams and the, the, the brands in sports are being taken down a path where they're going to have to be on a side in a situation with some pretty hard emotions on both sides.
0: It does, you know, and if you, if, if you talk to, um, you know, I've had some conversation with, you know, it's the, the, the sneaker brands, you know, Nike and, and, uh, and Adidas, I I think, you know, have Nike with, with Kaepernick obviously, but, but, uh, you know, the, the those, those brands have been much more outspoken on issues and have started to decide that, um, yeah, they were going to, you know, they were going to align uh, on a position, um, and it's generally worked out pretty well for them. I, I think that look again, this is one that every time that we think this one, and and again, this is another point that I heard from the Timberwolves. You know, this isn't really a divisive. This shouldn't be a divisive issue. This this was about. You know this wasn't just about race this was also about police br- brutality and it become a large became a larger con- conversation um, you know ar- around you know around race and so- race and social justice um, but even even someone who is is um, is politically more moderate would look at that video and say this is wrong it's it's pretty hard to come out and say anything other than this is wrong other than for a small subset so there's not a lot of risk there but to your point, you know, what, what is that next step and where are you on that next situation? Um, and, uh, again, you know, Ethan Casson from the Timberwolves talked about how are you a statement issue organization or are you an action taking organization and you're going to make that decision on multiple issues over a period of time. And it may not be the same decision all the time. But what I think has opened up is the expectation that sometimes you will be a take action organization, even if that does mean that you know it does cost you some business. Because how many people thought Nike was going to cost themselves a ton of business? You know, you you heard all sorts of stories about I'll never buy Nikes again, and then the earnings report came out.
1: Right, right. Uh, and, you know that that reminded me of something that Rich Luker, the you know the the longtime sports focused sociologist. Um, told me this week when I was talking through with these issues with him, I went to him just to get sort of a baseline on where like public opinion is. And, and he said a few things that made me think that maybe I am overestimating the risk that teams have. He said that as long as you keep it off the of field of play, people don't much care what happens. So as long as, you know, you're not doing too much with the actual marks and logos of the team and making protests on the field of play in uniform, you can basically do what you want and not really have it held against you too much. Um, And I don't, I'm not know if I quite believe that entirely, but he's got his research and his numbers and his polling to back that up. So, you know, maybe, maybe NFL teams are figuring out, Hey, if the owner wants to get really aggressive here in his own right, I mean, there's some reason to believe David Tepper and Charlotte has, is doing that. You know, he paid for play. He paid for like, um um incarcerated people's bail around Christmas they could be home at Christmas and it was a quiet little thing he did in his own right and there was some reporting that he's been encouraging his African American players to keep up the protesting sort of casually on background you know like by cell phone and you know as long as it's David Tepper himself and not the Panthers doing that maybe it's just sort of accepted as you know a personal a point of personal um personal pride or personal opinion. And that's fine as long as it's not too, too close and involved with the team itself. So maybe that's the new path. Um, And and maybe there's less risk than I think there is here. People are learning this out quickly.
0: Well, and and I'll tell you what, another interesting thing that, uh, that, uh, that did, that they did, uh, that the Timberwolves did, you know, it's one thing to say, we support our players and their right to express their opinion. It's another thing when you, um, you know, you cover the, in essence, the protest and you, and, and you create as they did, um, you know, they had some, some video and they, with Josh Kogi um, you know, interview and, um, and, and they put that up, you know, on their website and they did it in kind of, as they would describe it, kind of a raw fashion. It was not a heavily produced thing. Um, but they gave, they, they lent their asset to their players to speak out. And that's something I don't think we've seen a lot of in the past. Um, And it'll be interesting to see if we see more of it in the future.
1: Yeah, there was some of that. Um, It was interesting to see, like the Chargers didn't say much from the team account, but they retweeted and amplified Coach Anthony Lynn's deeply um, personal and important account of his own experiences as as a black man in this country. And, you know, I don't want to put myself in the mindset of a typical Chargers fan, But I do think it's different when an African-American coach is talking about his own life versus the Chargers saying something about race in America. I think that's, you know, first of all, it's more effective just as, you know, compelling content because the Chargers are a brand and Anthony Lynn is a human being. Secondly, uh, you know, maybe maybe it's a way to maybe it is a way to both be an organization of action while taking a bit less of a political risk than, you know, Mm -hmm. coming right out in your own under the, under the, under the bolt, you know, I don't know. Um, Just, I don't know if there's a right answer to this, but I thought that, that threaded the needle pretty neatly in the same way the league office and Troy Vincent's statements did.
0: Well, think about, think back not too long ago to Bob Kraft's involvement with Meek Mill, right? Was there a line there, a division between Kraft and the Patriots or did they bleed together? What did that look like? And where have they been this week? That's a that's a good point. I mean, there's a, there's some there's some um,
1: historical precedent to what Luker's saying that you can basically do what you want without penalty as long as you keep it off the field. Because, you know, Robert Kraft is, you know, involved in that Meek Mill case in a way that, you know, wealthy white billionaires in their 70s don't usually do. But as far as I know, there's been no backlash among Patriots fans. And Rich Luker would say that's because on Sunday afternoons at Gillette Stadium, it's all football and it's all business and it's not political there. As long as you do that, you pretty much get a pass for anything else you do from your own personal conscience. Um, this week uh, the Patriots put out a statement um, from Kraft. Uh, it was, it was It was on the um, specific and consequential end of the continuum. You know, if a total bland placeholder was on the left and, you know, pledging millions of dollars to specific legislative and uh, justice efforts is on the other. Kraft was definitely toward the substantive side of it. But, um, you know, I don't think he announced any major new initiatives per se. He just said, yeah, we've got to we've got to do more. He, He was pushing for action, but left it a little open ended on what that would be.
0: Last thing to touch on with you, because I think that, you know, this will um, this certainly this will continue to be an unfolding issue, um, but the NFL almost certainly and who knows what the start of a season looks like, uh, but players will take a knee um, and it may be more than it was before. Um, we saw what happened, you know, Drew Brees, um, you know, sort of waited in on, on one side. Yeah. We've talked for 20 minutes. We didn't talk about Drew Brees this week. So (laughs) yeah, that's right. I, I sort of, when, when Brees, it's, it's funny. As soon as I saw what Brees said, I thought, I thought we spent these last few days kind of coming to understand, um that taking a knee was not reflective of a position on patriotism or the flag um i thought that we we kind of like maybe now we get that now and again that's and, and look that that's all where you come from a little bit in your own position on social issues and on political issues i suppose and and so maybe that colors my viewpoint of that but i did think that there was a broader probably acceptance of of what the taking a knee was all about or at least what the players would say it was all about and then here comes drew Brees.
1: yeah yeah um i kind of agreed with lebron james when he said i thought we had talked about this um and you know i mean i'm not going to tell someone they are not allowed to take offense on behalf of the military when somebody kneels during the national anthem but it's been said over and over and over again that the intent of that was to draw attention to domestic political domestic issues of police behavior and domestic racism, not the military in particular, and that it's sort of a short-sighted view of the national anthem and patriotism altogether, but not think that necessarily is about the military. Um, you know. Clearly that message has gotten through because there was a pretty round condemnation of Bree's remarks. I don't think there was really too many athletes defending him on that point. Um, I just think that reminded us how bad this could get for the NFL. Um, you know, I said, you know, I, I sort of I think I've said suggested at some points of the last 20 minutes that, you know, they kind of got better as the week went on and in putting Troy Vincent's words out there and the 20 million dollar announcement on Thursday. Um, they definitely improved their standing on this from Saturday to Thursday. The fact is people are going to be kneeling. And last night, the a bunch of very high end African-American players put out a statement um, on Twitter that was uh, remarkably powerful calling on the NFL to admit it was wrong to silence player protests. And the NFL is more than happy to lend their weight and their credibility and their money to anti-racism issues. But if the expectation for players is that they now be permitted to kneel on the sidelines during the national anthem without fear of punishment, I find it really hard to believe the NFL is going to get to that point. It could be a real tough season for them on that front.
0: Well, Ben, we talked a lot about the NBA. We talked a lot about the NFL, um, you also took a little look at what was going on in the Olympic world um, this week. In this regard, um, they had, I believe, a, a uh, opened up a, a a a Zoom meeting to uh, or 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 some video meeting to to athletes this week, right? What what was going on there?
1: Well, I think the USOC and I'm sorry, the USOPC and the NFL are in very similar situations. How they are now navigating a world in which they're expected to not merely tolerate players' activism but say things themselves while in the very recent history of having punished players and athletes for taking political stands. Um, so it's maybe not quite at the same level as Colin Kaepernick, but 2019, the USOPC put Gwen Berry, um, a track and field athlete on probation for taking a knee at the Pan Am games in Peru. And now less than a year later, they're in this environment where they're expected to, uh, Full throatedly back their athletes' protests. And, you know, there's, it just goes to show how radically things have changed. That as recently as 18 months ago, it was understood that you just couldn't protest on the Olympic platform. And, Mm -hmm. but then they've been of two minds of this for some time now, though, because, you know, John Carlos and Tommy Smith were kicked off the team and sent home for the 68 games. And then given, um, you know, given, uh, celebrated by the USOPC 50 years later. So they are in a real tough spot, not unlike the national anthem thing in the NFL, where they have such an extraordinary amount of bad will build up on how they've handled this in the past, that now they're in a new environment and I don't know if they've solved it. Um, uh, Sarah Hershlin, the USOPC CEO did apologize to Barry this week. Um, but it's just, it's going to be a long time before people forget about that because that's exactly what they're talking about now. And they did do some conversations with, uh, with athletes and tried to get on top of it. But like the Kaepernick thing, it's not going to go away. You know, people aren't going to forget about that. Players feel really burned. Athletes feel really
0: burned by that. I would agree. Ben Fisher. Thanks so much. Sure thing. Thanks for having me, Bill. First Look is available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you're a fan of our podcast, subscribe on your mobile device to have First Look delivered right to your phone every Monday morning. That's going to do it for this week. For Ben Fisher and our producer, A.C. Wyatt, I'm Bill King, and this has been First Look.